There we go. Now my mic is on. Now my iPad has left my sermon, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I could just go nuts and go impromptu, but that could be dangerous, as we know. So we're going to go ahead and call this back up again here. There we go. Now we're going to be back in business. This darn electronic stuff. Come on. Where's the old paper, right, guys? All right. All right. So um, it's awesome to be part of a church that is seeking to build the kingdom of God in various places. So way to go, church. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it going. That, that video tells some of the story, but there's lots of other stories to tell, right? So it's awesome to be part of that. So this summer, we are going to do a deep dive into the book of Romans, but not the whole book of Romans. We're going to do a deep dive into Romans chapter 8, okay? A lot of times when we do a deep dive in the book of Romans for June and July, we'd be going through one chapter a week, and if you've ever read Romans, there's way too much material to cover doing one chapter a week. We'd be skimming through the book of Romans, and we never know if the book of Romans would actually get into us. So this summer, instead, we're going to try to take this one chapter of the book of Romans to see if this chapter can get into us. Not just us get through the chapter, but the chapter get through to us. So the, the challenge might be, it'd be awesome if we all took up the challenge of memorizing Romans chapter 8. I think it's 39 verses. So that'd be kind of fun if we could all do that together. Um, and, and something you can kind of you know, challenge yourself to do. Now just in case, it's a little introduction here before we get into our sermon for today. The book of Romans is a letter written to the church in Rome. Historians believe that the church in Rome existed very early on, probably right after Pentecost, because people were in Pentecost from Rome and took the gospel back to the city of Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire, and launched a church in the city of Rome. Initially, the church was very Jewish because all these people from Pentecost were coming back home, the Jews living in Rome, and started the church. It was a very Jewish church. They were very tuned in to the Sabbath day, to the circumcision, to the Torah, to all the Jewish ways. So the, their, their following of Jesus looked very Jewish. And then about 15 to 20 years after they got back home, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, he told all the Jews they had to leave the city of Rome. So all the Jews were kicked out. Leaving behind the Roman church, the Gentiles, without all of the tradition of the Jews, to fend for themselves. So it would be kind of like if we took all the Timothy Christian people and sent you away for five to seven years. And the people that were left that never went to Timothy Christian or that maybe weren't Dutch and weren't CRC, they took over and started running the church. That's what happened in the city of Rome. All the, all the Jewish people left, and for five to seven years, the Gentiles figured it out on their own, and then the Jewish people came back. Can you imagine if you know, all you Dutchies came back and suddenly there would be a whole new policy, set of policies going on here? Right? The, the whole new church? Well, that's what happened. The, the, the Jewish people came back and they were like, wait a minute. What are you doing to our church? Where's the Sabbath day? And where's the circumcision? And where's the, the Torah? And all these Jewish ways of life we practice. You guys are going, you've gone off the rails. And this created a lot of tension in the Roman church. There was a question, who is going to be in charge now? Because the Gentiles had found a way to follow Jesus outside of all the Jewish customs and traditions. So Paul writes this letter to unify the church in Rome, to bring together these two groups of people and say, look, we're all in this together because we're all under one umbrella, this Jesus Christ who has saved and lifted all of us. So this gospel, this righteousness from God that's being revealed, this is the way that we're going to come together. Now, this particular letter is an amazing presentation of the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? Read the book of Romans. 
Paul gives an amazing beginning to end uh, treatise on the gospel. It's amazing, right? And, and basically in there, he spells out these three things. If you accept the gospel, you get a new status. You're right with God and forgiven. You get a new family. You're included in God's family. And you get a new future, a transformed life. Those are the gifts that are given to those people who are in Christ. Okay, now, this letter can be divided in four sections. This is the end of this introduction, but here, here they are. Chapters 1 through 4 is the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Righteousness in this case is right relationship and right living. That's what the word means in Greek. Right relationship with God and right living before God. Okay? Chapters 5 through 8, the gospel creates a new humanity, whole new group of people. Chapters 9 through 11, the gospel fulfills the promises made to Israel in the Old Testament. And then 12 to 15, the gospel will unify the church and bring it together. So today, we're going to do Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read these to you, okay? Here's what they sound like. You know these. I bet most of you have already memorized this part. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Can we pray for a moment before we get started on those four verses? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, we trust your Holy Spirit is in the room. And Lord, I trust that your Holy Spirit will translate the meager words I have and turn them into words that are directly related to the different people in the room, Lord, that you will speak to your people through the power of your spirit and through your word. In your name we pray, amen. So years ago, um, I knew this kid from uh, Indiana who was going to Wheaton College. I lived down the street from Wheaton College, maybe two and a half blocks away, and he headed to Wheaton College, and I don't know, sophomore year, end of sophomore year, he called me and said, hey, Klein, I got these couches I can't get rid of, and they're in my apartment, and um, could I just, you know, storm in your garage for a couple of days? So he shows up with my van that he borrowed to empty his apartment, and in the back of the van are, are these two couches. And I say, sure, you can storm here for a couple days, it's fine. Well, four months later, <laughs> it was September, school had started again, and my wife was having a garage sale, so I called Joel on the phone and said, Joel. These couches have been here for not a couple days. They've been here for four months. You need to get these couches out of my garage today. If you want these couches, ever see them again, get them out of here today because my wife's having a garage sale today. And if you don't come get them, I'm selling these puppies in a garage sale. So we never heard from Joel. Moved the couches out to the driveway. And guess what? A kid from Wheaton College came and bought the couches for 50 bucks. Amazing. Then he said, hey, I'm going to pick these up, but i got to go with my roommate to help me carry these couches back to our apartment. Yeah, you're starting to catch it. He goes home, and he gets his roommate, who happens to be Joel. He wakes him up from his sleep and says, hey, Joel, 
Hey, Joel, I bought these two couches from this house down the street from this lady. 50 bucks is amazing. We just got to go pick them up and carry it. And he said, what house? What lady? What place? He started freaking out. So when he came over and picked up these couches, I'm like, this is awesome. The Lord is shining on me, Joel. I not only got rid of these couches, but I got 50 bucks for the thing. This is like justice has been done. Right? Now, I tell you that story because most of us have given the choice between living in a world of justice or a world of mercy, we would always choose justice. You know, the world where no one gets off scot-free, where people have to pay for their sins, where there's no unfair advantages, where no one gets away with bad behavior, abuse, or, or being a jerk. Punishment is swift and appropriate, black and white, a world where people get what they deserve. If people are good like us, they get rewarded. If people are bad like those people out there, they get what's coming to them. Feel right, doesn't it? Yeah, we like that. You know, the eye for an eye world. I think there are several reasons we would choose this world. First, when we compare our own bad behavior to the bad behavior of people around us, we always come out smelling like roses, don't we? Yeah. You know, Shane has many, many sins, he said this morning. I, I can relate. I have many, many sins, but my sins don't look as bad as the guy down the street. Probably yours don't either. Second, most of us actually like to see the bad guys get what they have coming to them. It feels right for the bad guys to get the punishment they deserve. And third, we fear a world of mercy because we figure if people are shown mercy, they're going to take advantage of it. So we'd rather have just justice. So applying this to the book of Romans, the situation we're in here, the Jews had come back to find their church in an uproar. Things had gone crazy. And they wanted to condemn the Romans and say, you're not following the Torah. You've left the way. You've lost your thing. Meanwhile, the Romans are like, wait a minute, we have values in our culture, and you people are trying to like, you know, push your values on us. We think you're in the wrong. And so basically, Paul begins this whole book of Romans pointing out, look, folks, we're all in the boat, same boat. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that's not broken, really broken, badly broken. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no sin that's worse than another sin. They're all the same. In God's eyes, it's sin, so Paul starts it out. And then he spends seven chapters spelling out a holy God, the coming wrath, a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. You know, some of the verses in Romans, he's probably sing to you, you probably get them, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then Paul says, so I find this law at work when I want to do the good things I want to do, I can't do them because evil's right there with me, but the bad things I don't want to do, I keep doing. I'm a wretched person. And then Romans 8 begins. And Romans 8, verse 3, reads like this. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now, why is the law powerless? Let's think about this. Well, here's the reason. Because each one of us has our own pet rules that we love to hang on to. 
We're willing to overlook the ones that aren't such pet rules to us, but, but we're willing to hang on to the ones that are really our pet peeves. When I first went to my wife's house in New Jersey, she was a good evangelical free church girl. I was a good reformed church kid. Sabbath day in my house was a big deal. We didn't go out to eat. We didn't cut the lawn. We didn't work in the yard. We didn't buy anything on Sunday. We couldn't even swim on vacation. That was somehow work. Yeah, you, you hear me. I was suffering all the time. So this was how the Sabbath day was laid out in my house. I get to my wife's house in New Jersey. My father-in-law gets up on Sunday morning before church. He goes, you know, before church, I'm going to go out and work in my garden a little bit. I'm like, is this guy a Christian? So he goes out and works in his garden. Then he comes back in. We go to church. And after church, he announces, we're going to go out to, dip, to lunch after church. What? I don't think I'd ever done that in my life. Now, this same man, he would not watch a movie because he thought they were evil. So if we turned the movie on, he would literally leave the room. And he never even had a sip of alcohol because he thought alcohol was the worst thing in the world. Totally not Christian. So we had his pet rules. My church had its pet rules. It was a mess. Right? We all have our pet rules. So the law is powerless because we erect these fences, these boxes that we keep ourselves in. And we try to get everyone in our box to follow our rules. But our rules are all over the map. And then we want to condemn the people around us that don't follow, do the things that we want them to do. That follow the rules we want them to follow. Does this make sense? Here's the second reason why the law doesn't work. Because we love the law when it protects us. We hate the law when it holds us accountable. Think about it. Let's say you're in the middle of the city of Chicago. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. You're in a terrible neighborhood. And your car stops working. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, no. And then you see the familiar lights of the police. And you're like, oh, I love these guys. They're coming to save me. But let's say it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And you're driving down the road at... I don't know, 20 over the speed limit and you're getting home as fast as you can and suddenly you see the familiar lights of the police. Now you're like, Ugh. I'd like to strangle these guys. See, the law doesn't work because we want the law to protect us but we don't want to be held accountable by it. In fact, if we actually give ourselves a boundary or give our kids a boundary, what happens? They want to immediately go and cross over the boundary. Are you like this? I'm totally like this. Tell me what I can't do, I'm going to show you. I'm going to do it. Right? I got some issues. I got issues. You know this, right? And what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Well, Paul spells it out. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. In Christ Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, that's the alternative. In Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus in you. A relationship that sets you free from the endless cycle of trying to figure out which box to be in, which law to follow, which rule to go by, whose rules to go by, whether you're condemned or not condemned, whether you're sinful or not sinful. In Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting. The cattle ranchers practice these two different kinds. In America, we put fences around our cattle and we, we give them a boundary, right? They go up to the boundary, but there's fences around the field to keep them inside the field. That's like the law. In Australia, the ranches are so big, they can't put fences around their property to keep the cattle in. You know what they do? They put a well of water in the middle of the property. And the cattle will never wander away from the well. 
in relationship to the water, they know that's where life is and they stay close to the water. That's the difference in these two things. What the law was powerless to do, the fences, Jesus did. Living water planted, just stay close to him and your life will be changed, it'll be transformed. Right? It's an amazing model. In that system, we don't have to write people off. We don't have to, you know, if people wander too far from the, from the well, they get muddy and messy, but they can always come back close to the well and find a new way again, a new place again. Jesus told these kinds of stories all the time. Right? Think about it, the most well-known one, the prodigal son kid. He comes and says, I'm tired of living in your box, Dad. I'm tired of these fences. I'm tired of this way of life. I want to go do my thing. So he becomes a Hebrew gone wild and goes off and lives the wild life out there, pushes all the boundaries, tests all the rules, right? Ends up in a pig pen. This is ironic. Ends up in a pig pen with fences around him, trapped in his own sin in the mud. So choosing that way of life outside the law will lead you to another pen, a different kind of pen, where you're trapped inside the mud, wallowing in the mud. Interesting. But of course we know the story. He comes back home. His dad's waiting on the road because his dad is the well of life that had poured into this kid, his kids the whole time. And who's there with him? The elder brother going, but dad, this isn't fair. I want a justice world. This kid deserves to be punished. He's wasted all your resources. He's terrible. Get rid of them. Take them down. Jesus, obviously, is the person who we can come to and we can find this transformation. Our insides gets transformed, not just our outsides. The law transforms our outsides. Jesus transforms our insides. Jesus gives you a new motivation to follow the law in a whole new way. Now, on top of this relationship, there's this phrase, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice that key qualifier. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. This is radical. This is crazy. This is mercy. That means everybody in the room can get off the hook in Christ Jesus. Everyone in the room can get outside of what you deserve in Christ Jesus. Everyone in the room doesn't get what they're supposed to get in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus took on all this stuff in himself. So instead you get mercy and compassion and grace and love in Christ Jesus. It's interesting how humans, we want to define people's lives by their sin, by their mistakes. We talk about people like this. We say, well, that's the guy who, you know, divorced his wife and cheated on his wife. And that's the guy who cheated on his taxes or was put in jail for that. That's the guy who lies all the time. That's the guy. You know what? That's the same thing the enemy does to humans. You know what Satan means? The literal word Satan means? Accuser, blamer, slanderer, condemner. Satan's the condemner. Whenever you hear a condemning voice in your ear about the stuff you've done, I can guarantee that's not God. A condemning voice is the enemy. A convicting voice is the Holy Spirit, but a condemning voice is the enemy. He's trying to tell you you are defined by your sin, by your mistakes, by your mess-ups, by your slip-ups. 
by your fumbling and falling. That's how you're defined. That's, that's your life definition. But when you see people through the eyes of Jesus, there's no condemnation. When you're in Jesus, there's no condemnation. So this week, if you slipped and looked at the porn site, maybe more than once, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. This week, if you messed up your marriage again and again, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. This week, if you lied to cover your butt because you were afraid of what might happen, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. This week, if you wanted to get out of the car and strangle the guy next to you who was driving terribly, this never happens for me. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. I can keep going. I don't know all the sins that are in the room. But those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. That's crazy. When I went to Angola prison three years ago and got to go there at Christmas time and preach there in the prison and meet with the guys in the prison, I had to get this in my head. Those guys had found Jesus and now there was no condemnation. While the state might have them locked up, in Jesus' eyes, there was no condemnation. They were off the hook. They were free. They were not going to be defined by their worst mistake. They were going to be defined by something greater. They were going to be defined by who they were in Christ, in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's crazy. Those guys did some probably really bad things to get locked up in the prison, but there's no condemnation for them if they're in Christ Jesus. And guess what? According to Romans, they're no different than any of us. We're all in the same boat. Brian Stevenson wrote the book Just Mercy. This is his quote. I read this to the guys in Angola prison. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Because in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we're free. We're not condemned. We're off the hook. 